Thanks for uh, joining us this morning. We're glad to have you participating. Uh, first of all, I want to give a couple of shout outs to all those who are, have been involved and participated in Black History Month. It seems like uh, the month long celebration just continues to grow and to grow and to grow, which is wonderful to see. Also want to give a shout out to uh, Andrew Carmines, the Carmines Foundation, as well as all the Seafood Festival volunteers and uh, what, a, what a great week that was. It, uh, the Carmines Foundation has raised over a million dollars and given that to charity. So uh, congratulations to them as well. You know, it was a beautiful weekend. It was really, really gorgeous. And we know when we get the gorgeous weather in the springtime, it also means that there's lots of pollen in the air. So anyway, we're dealing with that, but we're happy to, to deal with that. I thought I'd share a quick story with you that, that the RBC sponsor day on Monday, an RBC executive was there and was speaking and talking about how much uh, he appreciated the pollen as opposed to the cold weather in Toronto. So he was, he was glad to have a little bit of pollen for warm temperatures, and I think we all are also as well. You know, spring also means the RBC Heritage presented by Boeing is just around the corner, April 10th through the 16th. And this year's tournament promises to be one like any other, being a designated event and uh, uh, being only 40 days and I think 40 days and three hours away. So if you haven't gotten your tickets, they're selling fast and I want to encourage you to do so today. There are some days and some uh, venues that are sold out, but you need to go on the RBC website and purchase those tickets today. Also, on April the 1st, we're going to be celebrating the heritage. It, uh, our, our chamber ball will be all about plaid and we hope you will come and join us uh, on that day. So, so mad about plaid, April 1st, and it's one of the uh, biggest traditions that, that uh, we do each year. And so we'll be honoring the best of the best in our community that night. <clears throat> and uh, look, we'll be naming an outstanding individual, nonprofit and business uh, that has gone above and beyond. Uh, and we wanna know about who those people are. So if you have ideas that you'd like to submit on nonprofits, businesses, or different individuals, just please uh, email us to the chamber and we'll uh, put them in for consideration for the committee to, to, to vet out. Also, would like to uh, uh, take a moment to, to uh, welcome our first guest this morning. And our first guest is no stranger to the RBC Heritage. He's a strong advocate for the event statewide and beyond. He's South Carolina's lead ambassador for tourism. And Dwayne Parrish was selected by two governors as the director of South Carolina Parks, Recreation and Tourism, a position he's held over a decade since 2011. And I always like to say, uh, Dwayne, that's not long enough. He's also been honored by the U.S. Travel Association as the state's tourism director, uh, the top tourism director in the country. And he's a tireless advocate for low country. He and his team really understand the important role of our region at what it plays in tourism and also for our state. I thought I'd share with you some breaking news yesterday that Dwayne will probably also talk about, but the International Golf Op International Association of Golf Operators, uh, travel operators named South Carolina among the top five mm -hmm. golf destinations in the world for 2023. How about that? So South Carolina is the only US destination to make the top five. And we share uh, this recognition with Cyprus, Dubai, Los Cabos, and Thailand. How about that? That's, uh, that's wonderful to be on that list and not see South Carolina on the list. And we know that uh, golf in the area is wonderful. Dwayne, congratulations. That's a big deal. And we're looking forward to you today giving us an overview of how tourism is doing statewide and uh, anything else you'd like to share. So thanks for joining us this morning, Dwayne. Good morning, Bill. Thank you. And yes, a lot of great news. And I'll sort of uh, say again, congratulations to the golf industry in South Carolina. And that obviously includes the RBC Heritage presented by Boeing. But I've always said we are a state known for beaches and golf. And that's certainly been recognized by the International Association of Golf Tour Operators. Um, what, what a pleasant, uh, pleasant surprise when I found that out two days ago that we would be a, not only a top five destination in the world, but the top destination in the United States, as Bill pointed out. You know, we've always had uh, you know, Myrtle Beach has a large number of golf courses, close to 100 golf courses along the Grand Strand. Come on down. And then, of course, Charleston has Kiowa, obviously the Ocean Course, very well known. And then, of course, in Hilton Head, obviously, um, Harbortown and Sea Pines, along with the rest of the island. 
well known for golf. And then you take a lot of the inland inland golf we have in places like Greenville, where they host the Corn Ferry event on um, the BMW Pro-Am each year up in Greenville, which is also broadcast to the golf channels. We get a lot of exposure for a state our size, so about kick our coverage on golf a lot. But yeah, just sort of continue that real quick conversation what Bill said about golf. We were blessed in 2021 coming out of COVID to host three nationally broadcast events. And that was obviously the RBC Heritage in April, which was Golf Channel and CBS, followed by um, Kiowa, Kiowa, the Ocean Course, the PGA Championship in May, and then the Palmetto Championship at Congaree in June. So we had three nationally broadcast golf tournaments on the Golf Channel and CBS. Uh, and, we, and the state was the title sponsor, actually, the one in June. And then in 2022, we followed that up with Obviously, once again, the RBC Heritage presented by Boeing, but also the um, CJ Cup, which took place in October. And we were also the title sponsor of that, the CJ Cup in South Carolina. All, again, nationally broadcast on the Golf Channel. But so we've been able to reach out in the areas in the past we haven't been able to in terms of golf. Golf has had a big comeback out of COVID, which I'll talk about in just a moment and sort of give you a quick snapshot of what's happened in the state and since COVID. But we, we were very blessed on the golf side. Um, golf has come back for a variety of reasons. Top golf, uh, COVID probably the biggest generator, brought people back into golf that had gone out of the game and brought some new people into it. Um, the growth of top golf, as I mentioned, I think has introduced people to the game of golf who otherwise may not have ever picked up a club. So very blessed from that perspective. Um, the award by, by International Association of Golf Tour Operators. These are people who book golf for a living. And so it's really an honor to hear that from those folks that they uh, chose South Carolina as a top destination in the U.S. and one of the top five in the world. So um, but, uh, uh, quite an honor for us, particularly for a state our size. So blessed in many ways in the state. So going back to COVID briefly, much as I don't like to talk about it, going back to COVID, you know, we people thought it'd be 2024 at least before tourism came back uh, to to. 2019 or pre-pandemic levels, as everybody likes to say, it you know we put <laughs> it happened very quickly. 2022 was a record year for us. Um, 2021 was much better than we thought. Of course, vaccinations started taking place in the spring of 21. The summer and fall of 2021 was a very busy time. Uh, outdoor recreation became a very um, desired engagement for visitors, and then 2022 just kept going. Despite inflation and other things, um, you know, hotel rates have, have gone up dramatically. If you've stayed anywhere, you know what I'm talking about. But the good news is for us as a state, um, we have surpassed 20, 2022. We surpassed 2019 levels. It was a record year for us. We did over $6.1 billion in hotel sales, I mean, hotel and short-term rental sales. And then we did a $29 billion economic impact. That puts us up there as one of the top two largest industries in the state. Tourism generates right at $2 billion in state and local taxes, which is a big number because that's money people come into the community, pay, go back out, and then quite frankly goes toward the improvement of a lot of the quality of life of a lot of local people that local folks or local, local residents don't have to pay. And I know there's impact from visitors, certainly with traffic and other things, but nonetheless, it, it is a, uh, um, it's a big economic impact for us, big economic impact for the state. Tourism has come back much faster than we anticipated. That outdoor recreation, we're a state known for that. It's not just golf. Our state parks have had a record year in 2022. Uh, we surpassed the $50 million mark in revenue there. Um, we have five new parks coming now in the state soon. And certainly, what a great time for them to be coming because demand has increased for state parks. But it's everything from paddling, um, paddleboarding, excuse me, kayaking, canoeing, hiking, boating, fishing, golf. I mean, keep going. Anything outdoor has been a it started, I thought, what might be a fad in 21, but it, it, is, it has staying power and it's still the case today. So blessed to have those many things uh, going on in our state. That's certainly what we've tried to push and, and promote since uh, COVID hit. And it certainly seems to be working. Like I said, we've had a record year and we've outperformed a lot of other southeastern states. But the good news for us is we've had a lot of great things happen to us. We've gotten some awards for ad campaigns. We re-signed Darius Rucker as our ambassador for the state, who has been I've always said Darius Rucker has been an ambassador for the state for about 20 years. We just sort of formalized it a few years ago. And he continues to do a phenomenal job for us. We feature him in both our leisure and our golf spots around the state. His voice is well known. His face is well known. He uh, is a great ambassador for us along those lines. We started our Palmetto Ports podcast. So if you're interested in some things about South Carolina and Darius is happens, happens to be in our first one, it's uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's called Palmetto Ports podcast. Um, we have a couple of them out now. We, 
have each of those coming out every few weeks. So hopefully you can tune into that. Um, a couple of the great things going on, our Sester Centennial Commission, which celebrates Revolutionary War. Most of you are probably aware um, July 4th, 2026 will be the country's 250th anniversary birthday, however you want to term it. But we want to, um, obviously there were battles taking place at this time 250 years ago. And uh, the government, the governor and the legislature created a committee called the Sester Centennial Commission, which is funded up and running and has been for a couple of years now. Slowed somewhat by COVID, but to sort of celebrate that with a buildup, if you will, to 2026. South Carolina has the second highest number of Revolutionary War battle sites in the United States behind New Jersey. Um, we really are a place where the sort of tide, the tide turned in the war from Camden and a lot of other places, battlefields that uh, took place 250 years ago that sort of turned the tide in the war against Great Britain. And we have... Uh, uh, we want to certainly celebrate that, promote that. We're trying to take some sites now and make them what I would call visitable, having a place to pull over, signs to interpret that. We have some that are in state parks. Um, Musgrove Mill is probably our most prominent from a state park perspective up in just above Columbia, but a lot of others around the state want to celebrate and highlight those. A lot of good things going on there. Our film office had a record year last year. Um, some of you may be familiar with the, the, the uh, hit series called um, Outer Banks, which is obviously Outer Banks in North Carolina, but it was filmed in Charleston. Um, it had its third season on Netflix, is, is on now, it's released not long ago. And then Righteous Gemstones with Danny McBride, um, John Goodman, uh, is a, also a third or a fourth season coming up on uh, HBO. And we've had several movies. We just finished filming a movie called um, uh, Gold Coast, which features uh, Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney, filmed that on James Island. It's been a record year for our film office as well, featuring South Carolina there and some of those things. So a lot of great things going on around the state. Um, I can't tell you what it's meant to us and how quickly it's come back as, as hard as it was for hotels, uh, restaurants, and attractions in 2020. 2022 has been the other side of the scale and, and certainly been a big blessing for us. Um, and I'll finish with, I sort of think 2023, a quick forecast. I see 2023 being another record year. Certainly inflation, there could be a, a recession, but I think if there is one, it's a soft landing. Um, I don't think it'll have a tremendous impact. And I'll finish by saying, I think one big silver lining in COVID, the cabin fever when people were sort of in lockdown, if you will, was it made people discover the love of travel. Um, it's always innate, I think, in all of us, but when you're sort of uh, cooped up or, or can't go anywhere, you really realize how important travel is to you. And I think it's introduced people and reintroduced some people to travel and they've, they've moved it higher up their priority scale. And people want to travel now, they want to see places, they want to go do things, they want to be outdoors. And, and it's it's really refreshing to see for, from our standpoint, um, we're obviously a great state that offers a lot of things outdoors, but indoors as well. But it's it really is a, um, a great time for us to, in the tourism industry in South Carolina. So in places like Hilton Head, you know, what a wonderful place to feature. You know, um, Bill, Bill, thank you for all you do and all your staff. I mean, Hilton Head is a phenomenal place to go. Uh, Hilton Head Island is well known around the United States. Um, and we certainly feature that along with the rest of our state different campaigns to uh, sort of um, boost that tourism will continue to do so in 2023. So look forward to giving hopefully great news again as we go through 2023. And uh, Bill, I appreciate you having me on this morning. Dwayne, thank you. And that's, uh, there's a lot going on, a lot of good things going on. You'd mentioned Darius Rucker is the South Carolina tourism ambassador. And just want to let our listeners know today that the Darius Rucker intercollegiate golf tournament for, for women is uh, wrapping up today in Long Cove. So a shout out to all the Long Cove volunteers and that uh, covered on the Golf Channel the second year for that, as you know, Dwayne. So that's that's another big deal for us here on Hilton Head Island in, in South Carolina. Yes, Question it is. Oh, oh, on at 2.30 today, by the way. Good. Oh, 2.30. All right. 2.30 on the Golf Channel today. I've got a question from Neil for you. And uh, Neil is asking, how do you think the elevated event for this year's RBC Heritage will impact the state of South Carolina? Well, I think it boosts, you know, the RBC Heritage is our largest annual uh, sporting event in the state, hands down, over $100 million in impact. And that was before the elevated event. Obviously, now with, the, you know, probably somewhere around 90% of the top, 90 to 95% of the top ranked golfers in the world on the PGA Tour coming, you know, it make it. I think ticket sales will sell out faster. Bill mentioned earlier, get your tickets now. He's right. <laughs> They're going to sell out faster than probably ever. Um, number two, I think it brings a it brings a higher demographic, if you will. People spending more money in the community. 
during the golf tournament. But the other part of it is from a, from our standpoint, is our our uh, image outside the state, and that's to the to the person in Kansas who's watching golf, watches the elevated event, sees Roy McIlroy and the likes of the top ten in the world playing there, and gives us even more exposure because there's nothing really prettier, as most of you know, than that picture of the kite surfer out at Calabogie Sound on Saturday afternoon with Jim Nance, who's also who's an unpaid ambassador for our state, talks about that's that it brings a bigger television audience. Um, all of that just has a great impact for us and sort of reemphasizes what we're talking about being known for beaches and golf. Okay, Trish is asking about international travel. Now that that has opened, uh, what are you? What are we seeing here in South Carolina? We're back at about fifty percent of pre-COVID levels. Um, that's the one area we, that is not back yet. Um, business travel is close to being back to normal levels. Leisure is certainly the one that has pushed us along. Domestic leisure, if you will. International has started to come back. The Asian market, while not large in South Carolina, certainly huge impact on the West Coast, but not large has, uh, is you know, a long way, from, is several years away, but we'll start to come back. But the European market has started back. Um, we've made, uh, we have, I have several trips to Europe this year to sort of push that out. Um, Europeans, much like the United States residents, are, have cabin fever too, and they want to see you know, their, their favorite long haul destination is the United States. And we certainly want them to come back here and we certainly wanted to come to the South. And we promote with a group called Travel South, which, of which South Carolina, South Carolina is a member with 11 other states. We combine our resources, promote the South, music, food, <clears throat> music, food, and culture. And that resonates very well. Outdoor recreation is big in Europe now, too. And so we think we'll, we think we'll flourish and do well as, as the international visitor comes back. And the last thing I'll say about international visitation, they're the epitome of the travel you want. They, they stay longer. They spend more money. Um, they are, they love the culture and love the food and the things we have to offer. And, um, hopefully we'll be back at those levels in the next, um, in the next year or so. And we anticipate getting the British Airways, uh, service back to Charleston, direct from London to Heath, London Heathrow to Charleston. Hopefully have that air service back in place in 2024, which should help boost that as well. That's exciting to hear. Very exciting. Dwayne, during COVID, we know that, uh, people couldn't travel internationally. We know that cruise ships weren't running. And um, uh, some some destinations, some cities really weren't open. Talk to us just a little bit about how competitive it is and how important it is for us to continue as a state, as well as uh, local municipalities to continue to market, to make sure we maintain market share moving forward. Yes, um, one of the things that you know, our governor would agree or disagree on the health reasons, we really didn't close down too much or too long. And from an economic standpoint, that benefited us tremendously. We came out of the gates faster than anyone else. We continued to promote during that time period. It was basically you know, sort of dream now, discover later uh, was sort of our messaging along that time. And then when we did reopen, we, that was our message. South Carolina's open. And we also we had the tagline, we're ready when you're ready, which Delta Airlines actually had as well. But uh, that, you know, it, it's, it's critical during that time period that you market and that obviously we've gotten more funding from the legislature during this time period post COVID and that certainly paid off in what we have now in, in the, in the uh, numbers I just gave you a few minutes ago. You know, it, people say, well, gosh, people have heard of, they've heard of South Carolina, they've heard of the beaches, they've heard of Myrtle Beach, they've heard of Hilton Head, they've heard of Charleston. Sure. Well, you've heard of Coca-Cola too, but they don't stop advertising. They still have Pepsi out there. We still have North Carolina and Georgia out there in Florida. And so it's critical during that time period that you keep doing those things just to, if nothing else, even if they're familiar with how great your location or destination is, you need to sort of remind them who you are, what makes you great, how good you are, and what makes them come back. And I think that's critical during any time and even more so during what happened during COVID. All right, Dwayne, we have one final question for you. That's coming from Karen. And Karen's asking if there are any plans for the South Carolina legislature to enhance film incentives to uh, further compete with, say, states like Georgia? Um, we received, during the current fiscal year, we received, an, normally we have about 15 million to promote uh, in film incentives. We are a cash incentive state without going too deep into the weeds. Georgia, Georgia does the largest number of films outside of the state of California. They do tax credits. They have a large infrastructure and do very well with it. We increased our cash incentives, which actually movie studios prefer, from 15 to legislature did from 15 to 30 million this current fiscal year. And there's a bill, there are several bills out there now within the legislature that would that would increase that through a couple of them through a different ways on a recurring basis, which would certainly give us more opportunity to 
uh, do more films, more television, which obviously would create more, create more infrastructure. Um, and by infrastructure, I mean lighting and gripping companies, studios, those kinds of things. That a lot of that now has to come from out of state for us. But there is some of that building up in Charleston now with the additional funds. But we hope that continues on a recurring basis. So we'll see as they move through the legislature this spring how that goes. But I would not be surprised if we're able to um, do more incentives and in, in dollars next year. Dwayne, on a personal note, congratulations on having the second grandchild. Uh, uh, <laughs> Thank I'm you. sure you're still beaming from ear to ear. I am. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a special time. There's something great about being a grandparent. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us. Look forward to seeing you very, very soon. And thank you for leading tourism in the great state of South Carolina. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, everyone. And uh, everyone have a great, like Bill said, enjoy the weather. It's a great time. See you soon. Take care. All right, we'll move forward now and our, our next guest really doesn't need any introduction, but uh, we'll give her one. Uh, if you've ever walked the streets of Bluffton with her, you know she's known by all. Uh, one resident describes her as wrapping her arms around the entire community. And the town of Bluffton is always doing great things and she's led the charge as mayor since 2008. Uh, she's here to update us on all the good things that are going on in, in Bluffton, as well as, uh, uh, just other things that she wants to provide updates on. So, Mayor, welcome. We're delighted to have you. It's great to see you, even though you are on camera. Well, I'm outside. And, Dwayne, before you go, behind me is a perfect porch for Palmetto Porch Podcast. I, I love uh, Darius Rucker, even though he graduated from that other school in South Carolina. Um, so put that on your notes. And I see you still on there, so he can be writing that down. Um, you know, I'll be quick. I'm out here at Wright Family Park because Dwayne talked a lot about golf and beaches on Hilton Head. We're very proud of our parks and our river and really our community. So um, just happy to sit out here. This is my office away from office. We have free Wi-Fi in all of our parks. We partner with the county on that. Uh, so come on out and bring your computer and in, lower your stress level few things. I don't want to talk too much because hopefully they're questions um, and I'm happy to answer them. But you hit it, Bill. Um, I kind of consider March 1st a fourth season and that's beginning of Heritage. And last week was crazy. Wonderful with Sponsor Day. Uh, the volunteer pool for the majority comes from Bluffton. So I'm very proud of our volunteers and our community that gives back they don't care if a bridge is in between their home and the location or not. And so much comes back in the charitable donations to this town and to the region. So everyone gets concerned on where to get the plaid. And they always ask us, where's that plaid jacket come from? We're going to open a plaid site, I think, in the coming days or weeks. So go on and order your plaid so it'll get here before the April tournament. Um, so enough said about that. Bluffton is busy. We have a lot of projects that have been on the books for a while. And as Dwayne and you have said with COVID, it really backed up workers, supply chain, just everything. But you're going to see really starting last week, we're starting to get bids a little higher than we'd like, but to move forward with our capital projects. Um, my priest once told me, when you see orange cones, don't fret, it's progress. So you might hear noise behind me because I'm at Wright Family Park with the project that I'm gonna talk about in a minute. Um, you're gonna have a few road closures and you're gonna be a little stressed, but please know it's all for the betterment of our community. Um, couple of projects behind me is really a drop the mic moment. And um, the chamber was here for our, our groundbreaking Construction is going on at the Squire Pope Cottage. And for those of you who were not here in 17 to see the same kind of construction taking place at Garvin Garvey House, come out and look at it. Um, we've actually raised the entire cottage about eight feet. And now we're working on the piers underneath to gently lower this wonderful gem to a new foundation that should keep it here forever. It's going to be the site of our welcome center and some offices from our town staff, but really just in addition to this park and will be open to the public. Um, about a year and a half. I'm pushing them for a year, but you know, maybe by the next time I'm on here, 
I'll be in there doing a power hour. Uh, exciting news last week, Garvin Garvey House, which is at Oyster Factory Park, is uh, has been approved through the county to be on uh, the list of the reconstruction era uh, structures. And it had to be approved by the county to get on this national parks um, list. So that was pretty exciting for us to have something from that era uh, on the list. And you're here in progress back there with, with noise. We bonded money to completely finish uh, the New Riverside Barn. It's about a two-year project, but it will be in phases, but funding's in place. So that's a new park for really the more high growth area of Bluffton out at New Riverside. Um, we're doing a lot of streetscape projects. We, we're just busy, we, I'm busy. Um, go on our town uh, website to follow the projects. If you go to our map gallery, easily you can find the capital improvement projects and you can follow and see what the plan is, where the funding is very transparent and really the, the timeline. Um, a couple of things, you know, we're growing. And as I said, set from 17 to today, our, our population has changed. It's growing, but also new residents have taken on um, homes that people back in 17 lived in. So we have a large number of new residents that, you know, they bring with them what they know and <laughs> Bluffton is just different from every other place in the country, but our government system is a lot different from the places where people are moving from. So we're taking our, not town councils, but we're, we've implemented what's called a mobile town hall. And it's really wonderful. I wish more people would come and attend. We're taking it to neighborhoods. We're taking it wherever people want it and can gather. You know, we've had it in front of four people. We've had it in front of 140 people. And we bring our staff, we bring, which is the police department is part of that. We bring our planning, finance, town manager. If council can attend, they do. They really bring what we do at a town level to the public. Um, development agreements, where our town limits are. Wow, do we know. Um, what our police department can do, our community outreach, how to be involved. It's really wonderful. So I would urge anyone who's listening that lives in our town limits, if you've not been privy to one or if you'd like one in your neighborhood, just give us a call. Our public information officer, Debbie Spanka, um, is willing to set it up and we're really, really willing to, um, to get that. I'm looking down because I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, Poke Cottage. Oh my gosh. We're going to have a fun weekend. This is Bluffton. We're quirky. Um, we're going to have the second annual flower show at uh, Hayward House at Martin Family Park this Saturday, the 4th from 12 to 2. And I know you scratch your head and go, oh my Lord. Um, but we also, thanks to Babby Guccio, who comes up with these marvelous ideas, are going to have the first annual buzzard day. Why? Why? Well, in the 80s, we had, we had grumpy people back then too. But our mayor, George Hayward, who is uh, very big in education, he was our mayor for two terms, was constantly called about the buzzards at Oyster Factory Park. And he got so upset with people from coming in, trying to change his world, he decided to name the buzzard the town bird. Not only did he name it the town bird, he decided to dress like a buzzard in several of our Christmas parades and ride on top of our brand new town dump truck um, to, to just ensure everyone knew. So Babby is holding buzzard day, Saturday, two to four at Martin Family Park. It's on Facebook, it's all over the place. Um, I wrote an article about it, but uh, George will be there. We will proclaim Buzzard Day. Um, Jevin Daly, which is a fabulous musician, has created a song and he'll sing it. Kids, it's, you know, it's gonna be a beautiful weekend. So you wanna cross the bridge and come over, come on over Saturday, 12 to two or Sunday, two to four. If you live here and you see craziness, you heard it here. Um, Gosh, that's about all just, you know, we're 
we're busy. We see a lot of people here, a lot of visitors. People are walking around this park out and about on the river. Um, that That's about it from Bluffton. All right, Mayor, thank you. Uh, each year, it seems like during the RBC Heritage, Bluffton does something special. And what uh, can you share with us what you're planning to do this oh, year? Oh, gosh, thank you. It was on my list. You know, we have to brag about that. I'm a big fan of the Heritage, RBC Heritage presented by Boeing. I'm a bigger fan of the Heritage Classic Foundation, and I'm honored that I am sitting there in an emerit, I don't know what I am, I guess a non-voting member uh, trustee, but several years ago, we decided we're the gateway. We wanna brag about this tournament. And I think this is what you're talking about, but we put banners on our gateway and our gateway is May River Road, Calhoun Street. It's kind of our central core and in our historic district. This year, fingers crossed, you're gonna be really surprised. You don't even need your glasses to read the banners. You'll be able to see it as you drive slowly through our old town. So those should go up probably 1st of April. Um, I think we've encouraged the new government over the bridge. You know, we're big, com we, we're big competitors. So we'll see what they do or y'all do. But um, is that what you were asking about? Cause it I go is. on and on about the heritage. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. So that's great. It's always, uh, it's always fun to see. A couple questions for you. First one's coming from Rob, and Rob is asking what your thoughts are regarding the tremendous growth along the 170 cor corridor and uh, mm -hmm. how that's going to affect Bluffton. Well, growth is everywhere. I mean, it's not just 170 corridor. Go down... Um, you know, if you're talking about from 170 from Kalawasi to the circle, that's in and out of the town, um, the county, and if that noise gets too great, I can move. Um, the county has as many building permits allocated as the town. Hardyville has more building permits than the county and the town together. So all of a sudden, your first word that pops up is regional cooperation. Um, we work with both because we rely on the county, we rely on Duane, we rely on our legislators at the state to help us with uh, transportation. So I think that's the key. The growth is gonna come because we know what's been um, approved decades ago. Uh, we're very careful on what we approve to add to this. I don't think we've changed density on anything outside of these development agreements in about five years with this council. Um, so yeah, it's a concern, uh, but we've got to have partnerships with the state and we've got to have partnerships with the county and our neighboring county, which I feel we are really have strong relationships with. Thank you for that answer. Another question is coming from Jana and Jana is asking about the new Riverside Park and if there will be space for gatherings and concerts in, in that area. Yes, and I hope Jana lives out in that area. Um, that absolutely, along with the park I'm sitting in, were two things I've been really focused on for years. And that 40 acres could easily, at some point, been rezoned to commercial or multifamily. So I'm very proud we pulled that off the books. But what's going to be there? Well, we've got the master plan in place. Go to townofbluffton.sc.gov, go down to the map gallery, pull up the capital project map. It's a big map. Click on that. You'll see what's going out there. It's going to be walking trails, a splash pad, bathrooms. That barn is fabulous, Jana. It, we've got to add a bathroom and a warming kitchen. So yes, yes. We haven't gotten to the point of having rules. So if concerts are exciting to you or a concern to you, please let me know, let council know. The rules will really dictate what goes on there. Where I am right now, there's no alcohol allowed. It's right across the street from a church. So, you know, the rules are be different based on location, but definitely events, definitely a place you can go and run with your children, play on a playground, or just sit like you see it at uh, the park in Savannah, Forsyth Park. You know, that is kind of our mini Forsyth Park, but um, yet to come on the rules and I'd love your feedback. 
All right, thank you. Another question, and this is coming from Justin. And uh, Justin is asking if there's any new development in downtown, the old town Bluffton that you can share. Um, again, if there is, we also have a map called Permit Finder. Again, same address, same map gallery, but look up Permit Finder. You'll see little blue bubbles on, on all the permits that have been given in the whole entire town. So you can, if you see something, you're like, I wonder what that is. You can go on there. If it's in the town limits, you'll find it. One exciting bit of news, you know, if you're on Bluffton Road going to the circle, a lot of that development going on is in the county. The county's about to launch a similar permit finder in the next, I'd say month, just to be safe. Um, a lot of activity in Bluffton, because Justin, as you see, we don't have a lot of uh, vacant properties right now. Um, we have a fella who bought the property where the red dot is, and you see that overhang is down. They're going to renovate that. Joe Frazier is a builder, so he really has this hand on the pulse of our belief in preservation. They're rebuilding that awning. They're fixing that building. They're going to probably have to add bathrooms. So that's something to keep an eye on. The man who owns it owns from Calhoun Street to DuBose, from Gothi to the promenade, all the way back to Mellonchamp. So it's a big swath of land, five, four acres. Um, there's a fella who is slowly getting some acreage behind Nectar that I think's coming forward sometime soon, a year or so, who knows, but I do know he's been having initial talks with the town. And um, we have some great preservation projects. We have a gentleman who's developing the corner of at the four-way stop and you can see the joiner property across from the chamber has been moved and you're really starting to see it looks exactly like it did at a location about 50 feet further away and um, the deer tongue building we're having a groundbreaking there that whole area that's going to be another preservation project so yeah it's things are changing I hope for the better and I hope you'll look at it one day and go gosh it didn't change that much. It still feels like Bluffton. But go to the permit finder. That's going to really help you. Mayor, a couple of final things. One, the uh, the groundbreaking for the Squire Pope Cottage. I thought that was incredible. And then being uh, able to, to hear the grandson uh, uh, be able to talk and tell about the memories, the family memories there. You want to touch on that for a minute? Yeah, I do. And I, before you let me go, I've had more questions today than ever. So I'm so excited. We have people interested in Bluffton. Um, so I'm standing here. Y'all can see behind me. Gus Wright, who's the third Wright, Gus Wright, um, came down about a month or two ago with his children. And his children are like 10 and 12. His children even have stories of sitting uh, from his dad, for sure. Um, and his grandfather, what his father used to do here. And it was just so cool how the stories are, you know, they're living. Gus, Mr. Wright passed away last March that worked on this deal. His son, Augustine, he goes by Gus, um, they wrote a fabulous letter to us in the wishes and hopes of what this would be. They really, a lot of blind faith. But when he came and talked, he's overwhelmed that not only did we listen to them, we took it, you know, way several notches up. And he was just overwhelmed and his brother was too. But there is a letter that will be in this welcome center from his father. Um, they had stories of dirt roads and the old post office. And, and Gus is only, he's not 60. I mean, he's got, a, he's got children preteen, so y'all can do the math. And for him to have those memories, they're gonna live on for decades and we're gonna capture that. Um, because this is important to remember what Bluffton was like. Um, we've gotta know what it was to know where we're gonna be. And I, I'm so glad you were there and got to hear it. You really, it really takes you a step back in time and we can do that everywhere. Mitchellville, love it when I go out there. Garvin Garvey, there's a lot of history in this town and county people haven't even grasped yet. Mayor, the uh, the final thing, the Wi-Fi you have there in the, at the Wright Family Park is very, very good. It's uh, You've been solid the whole time through, no pausing, no breaks. 
So uh, good job with that. Well, I'll put a plug out there. The county and the town, in, I know in Bluffton, every park has strong Wi-Fi. So come out here and work. I mean, why not? Why, why not? You, you're more creative when you're happy. So um, we, it's sun up to sundown, though. You can't use it at 12 a.m., but come on out. And it's, it's on the, the choices you get, and it's pretty strong. I appreciate it. I was worried, but it's all it good. Was really, it was really good. Mayor, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for your leadership and all you do. And thank uh, you. we'll see you real soon. And as Ambassador Haley says, it's another beautiful day in Bluffton, South Carolina. There you go. All right. Mayor <laughs> okay. Salka, thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. We'll switch gears now and talk a little bit about the, uh, the town of Hilton Head Island, who recently held their strategic planning retreat at the Western Resort. And from that, they uh, came away with really some ambitious plans, and especially in the area of capital projects. And here to tell us about that today is the deputy town manager for Hilton Head Island, Josh Gruber, and Josh has been uh, with the town, I believe, since 2018, oversees strategic planning and legislative matters. So, Josh, thanks for being with us, and it's always good to see you, and we look forward to your update. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for having me. I, I want to first start off by saying I've got to learn the lesson that it's not a good idea to go after Mayor Salka because uh, she's a hard act to follow. She's certainly coming to you from a much prettier location than I am. Uh, and unfortunately, I think her information is going to be a lot more entertaining than what I've got to cover today. Uh, but I do appreciate you kind of teeing it up uh, for me what I wanted to cover, which is essentially providing folks some information with regards to updates that we've made to our strategic plan. And for those of you that don't know, our strategic plan is really kind of our workbook. It, it outlines what we are going to try to accomplish over the next year, two years, um, and, and when combined with our annual operating budget, it really brings together the staff resources and the funding to go out and accomplish these big projects. Um, and so just this past January, Council had an opportunity to sit down and look at our existing strategic plan, um, the items that we've been able to successfully accomplish, those items that are, are active and ongoing, and then those items that have not yet begun, but are still on the horizon for us to start at some point soon. Uh, and then council had an opportunity to also put their own kind of stamp on it. And so I'm gonna, gonna try to share my screen here if I can, because I wanna highlight and go over um, the top 15 priorities that uh, council uh, adopted as part of this work session. And so leading things off, the, the number one priority that council put forth in their strategic plan update, uh, and this is based upon a lot of feedback that we've been hearing from the public, is to have a better plan for managing growth on the island. And, and obviously managing growth does not mean no growth. It means that we are managing it in an appropriate manner um, and in the way that makes sense for the island and maintaining the island's character. And so in order to be able to do that, there are a significant number of steps that we are going to go through so that we're not just taking a knee-jerk reaction to any particular situation, but that we are systematically going through our current codes, our current maps, our future land use plans, and making sure that all of those elements are lined up with our vision for growth going forward in the future. Um, and so you can see that list here. Uh, it's a very extensive set of, of uh, action steps that we're going to be taking, uh, many of which are going to be done publicly with town council, either in a workshop format uh, or as an item on an agenda for formal discussion. Uh, so once we wrap up with, with that, and this is going to be something that's going to be going on, um, hopefully uh, between now and through the end of this calendar year, that by the time we reach December, we will have adopted and approved all of the updates that we are working for in regards to our growth management strategy. Also, as a high priority um, is a, another big issue that we hear from many, many island residents, which is 
implementing a workforce housing framework. So developing resources for workforce and affordable housing on the island is something that is obviously very important to us. And in order to make uh, defined progress in that area, we set forth a number of things that we think are going to be helpful in us kind of carrying out this framework that we've brought forward to council. The name of that framework is called Finding Home. It identifies some very concrete steps and things that we need to do in order to make uh, inroads in this area. In addition to that, we've also got some ongoing initiatives, a couple of which are listed here. Um, we're going to be hiring some staff members uh, that are going to be dedicated and focused on working exclusively on this particular issue. We are also actively discussing um, with a preferred development partner a, a public-private partnership that would see the development of workforce housing on uh, about a 10-acre parcel of town-owned land on the north end of the island, the, the North Point track. And so we are, we are actively working with a, an advisory committee that's made up of a couple council members, a couple members of the public, on outlining the terms that we believe are necessary to create a successful public-private partnership, and we'll incorporate those within a defined development agreement that we'll ultimately bring forward to the public and council for their approval, hopefully sometime within the next uh, couple of months. Additionally, we're going to look at adopting a major corridor street enhancement policy. Um, our upcoming council meeting on March 7th, this is a workshop item that we've got outlined for that particular uh, meeting. And so at that meeting, staff's going to bring forward their plans for proposing corridor improvements uh, at what here is listed as many of our main thoroughfares on Hilton Head Island. So uh, they're going to outline uh, what that entails, but essentially we want to look at increasing safety. Um, we want to look at increasing the aesthetic look of, of our roads. We want to make sure that our pathways and sidewalks are sufficiently meeting our needs. And so there's a bunch of elements that go into that, but we've got uh, some very uh, comprehensive plans for improving those corridors that we are gonna bring forward here uh, next week. In addition, we're gonna look at having to continue moving forward and, and uh, continue our discussions on the William Hilton Parkway Gateway Corridor Plan. Um, as I think some of you, if not most of you have seen, at least within the last couple of days, our, our main entrance onto and off of the island is our artery. Uh, we've got to make sure that that artery remains open to the extent that we can, but we've also got to make sure that the plans for that project are in keeping with the expectations of the, the public and our residents. And so to continue that, we are going to be hiring an independent firm that will be conducting an end-to-end -end analysis. And uh, we're gonna be working directly with a citizen advisory committee to go through that process, to perform that analysis and ultimately report those results back to council with the goal of, of furthering that plan once that analysis has been completed. Uh, we're also gonna be working with the, um, getting the operation started for the Gullah Geechee Historic Neighborhoods Community Development Corporation. So that is a brand new entity that we have created uh, whose goal and focus is going to be taking the resources that are provided to it and investing those resources directly within the historic neighborhoods that are located on Hilton Head Island and creating opportunities to not only uh, allow those communities to thrive, but allow them to sustain and maintain the cultural heritage that exists today. And so um, we're in the process of actively soliciting an executive director for the corporation, as well as a dynamic board of directors. And so if you know folks that are out there that are interested in serving uh, the community, we've got some really great opportunities to serve on this board of directors and we'll probably be making appointments to that group later on this month. Uh, in terms of resources, uh, Senator Davis was instrumental in obtaining a $5 million earmark uh, for us, specifically for the operations of the Gullah Geechee Historic Neighborhoods Community Development Corporation. So not only is this entity gonna be charged 
with making some improvements in these communities, they're also going to have the resources that are going to allow them to truly make some impactful decisions uh, to support those areas. Uh, we're going to be conducting a SWOT analysis of island resiliency, which is going to be used to establish uh, an island resiliency plan as a barrier island. Um, you know, we need to be cognizant of the fact that regardless of political views, uh, sea level rise is an actual thing. We are monitoring it. We can track it. We know it's an issue that we're going to have to continue to plan and prepare for. And then also our stormwater management and how we deal with stormwater runoff on the island. Um, you know, water is the common enemy of a lot of folks here. And so we have to have plans in place about how we're going to effectively deal with that. So undertaking this analysis is going to help us get a better idea of what plans do we need to put in place, what things do we need to be doing to better prepare ourselves for these changes that we know are coming our way. Next is implementing our capital improvement program. Um, right now, the, the capital improvement program budget is about $43 million. Um, that money is going to be spent over the series of the next uh, two to three years. But you can see there that we've got buckets for each of these different areas where we're going to be making improvements. So we've got uh, beach uh, management and, and beach improvements. We're going to be doing a uh, beach renourishment here within the next two years. Uh, we're also looking at continued pathway management, roadways, parks, facilities and equipment, our fleet management. Uh, we've been actively working to try and replace uh, our fleet of fire trucks on the island. Unfortunately, due to the global supply chain issues and some other things, the date of completion for the fleet upgrade keeps getting pushed uh, further and further back, but it is still something that we are actively pursuing and we know we're going to need to accomplish uh, as our existing fleet continues to age and, and have wear and tear from use. Uh, we're also formally incorporating our land acquisition program within our CIP budget that way. Um, a lot of the preliminary costs and things that we use outside of the actual property purchase itself can be tracked through our CIP program. And then new this year, we're going to be adding a housing program element to our budget. So that's something that because it's such a high priority item for us, we want to make sure that we are being transparent with the community and showing them that we're putting resources behind this initiative. So you know, putting, putting the money where our mouth is and making sure that it's clear to the public that when we say we want to make some uh, in progress in the area of workforce housing, they see the resources that we're putting towards making that happen. Similar to that, we're going to be working on updating the town's land acquisition manual. You know, over the last 30 years, we've acquired 1,400 acres of land um, and we're going to continue to be able to acquire that since we were successfully able to extend our real estate transfer fee program. And so knowing that we're going to continue to acquire land in the future, but understanding the kind of the, the lay of the land as it is now in terms of um, properties that are available to acquire, but also achieving some of the goals that we have, we believe it's an appropriate time to update our land acquisition manual to include not only acquiring property for preservation, but acquiring property for parks, open space, conservation, town facilities, and maybe even redevelopment or workforce housing opportunities when it's appropriate to do so. So all of that we're going to look at incorporating within our land acquisition manual as part of an update. And again, based upon feedback that we've heard from residents in terms of their high priorities, we're going to be conducting a SWOT analysis of Hilton Head Island solid waste and recycling. This is one of those areas where we have to work very closely with the county as our partner uh, because Beaufort County is responsible for dealing with all residential solid waste and recycling. But we also know that we can do better than what we have now. And so we wanna work with them to develop um, some plans and some resources. And we know that they're already starting to do that with regards to some facilities that they are building off island that once are, are complete are gonna give us a lot more flexibility in terms of how we can process some of our waste streams. But we know that our goal is to be able to expand the rate at which we are able to recycle materials, um, ensuring that those materials are successfully being recycled and not winding up in the landfill. And then also looking at ways at which we can effectively process our solid waste now and into the future. 
Next, we're, we're looking at implementing our destination marketing organization marketing plan and measuring performance. Obviously, tourism is the backbone of our economy, so this is a very important item that council wanted to make sure was included within their top 15 priorities. And so in addition to working closely with our DMO, we're also going to be looking at trying to emphasize different aspects, particularly ecotourism, cultural tourism, wellness tourism, and sports tourism within our marketing materials as we go forward with developing those plans. Uh, we're also going to be looking at assessing alternative revenue sources and funding opportunities. We pride ourselves in having one of the lowest millage rates in any municipality within the state of South Carolina, but we also know that we're trying to accomplish a lot of things and it takes resources to accomplish those objectives. And so in order to do that, we need to continue to look at alternative funding sources uh, that we can bring to the table, which would allow us to accomplish these things, but not have to focus on raising millage or looking at our, our residents to fund um, the majority or a lot of those improvements. So you see here, we've got um, the green space sales tax program that's been approved. We know that the county's working on getting the uh, committee established for that, and they're going to be starting to accept applications in the near future. We believe Hilton Head needs to be able to take advantage of that because there's uh, we've some opportunities here that we think can successfully help uh, meet the goals and intents of that green space uh, sales tax program here on the island. Uh, we're also going to be discussing, now this is not necessarily meaning that it will show up on a ballot, but it's it's worth having discussions about uh, potential voter referendums on open space preservation, workforce housing, and then development and reuse of existing properties. So again, very general kind of statements about things that we're going to do. And at this point, we're going to have conversations about that and whether or not that does need to take a next step forward to become a possible voter referendum issue. We're also going to be identifying dedicated funding for workforce housing within our annual budget. Last year, town council challenged staff to identify a million dollars in recurring revenues that can uh, be incorporated into our uh, annual budget. And so we are going to be working to ensure that that is there. And then again, it'll be transparent in terms of where those funding uh, sources are coming from and then how they're going to ultimately be used in terms of supporting workforce housing. We're also going to be discussing um, the creation of a mid-island TIF district. Uh, as some of you may know, we've created a mid-island redevelopment plan. And in support of that redevelopment plan, we are looking at potentially creating a tax increment financing district. Uh, the town has had a TIF district for the last 25 years. It's been very successful in helping to raise revenue for a lot of the parks um, and improvements that have uh, been done by the town during that time. But going forward, we want to take and create a district where the revenue that we raise within that district will remain within that district to provide uh, public improvements, not only in terms of infrastructure, but redevelopment support, um, so that the, the vision that's expressed by the Mid-Island uh, Redevelopment District can be supported through the creation of the TIF. And then lastly, as part of our annual budget, we're going to be discussing a review of permits and fees and kind of looking where we're at in terms of our peer communities and where we may need to go in terms of adjustments going forward. And again, as we come forward with uh, this year's budget, that will be incorporated as part of that discussion. So the public will have an opportunity to review that information and then comment and participate uh, as those discussions are going forward. Um, we're also looking at conducting a stormwater utility rate study. Um, as a best practice, that should be done kind of every five to seven years to make sure that your rates are in line with your capital and operational needs. Uh, we, we're likely going to be looking at doing some bonding uh, opportunities later on this year uh, with a couple different revenue sources. That way, with all of those capital projects that we've got identified, we've got uh, an existing pot of money that we can draw from to make sure that those projects can move forward uh, in a timely manner. And then we're going to be looking at adopting an accommodations tax funding policy within our annual budget. Uh, and then again, I guess we really wanted to focus on the stormwater utility rate study because we have it in there twice. Um, we're also then going to be looking at continuing our short-term rental assessment and program implementation. Um, we began that study last year with the adoption of a short-term rental permit program, uh, and, and along with some kind of good neighbor regulations to make sure that those people occupying short-term rentals are doing so in a way that's respectful of the surrounding properties and the surrounding community. 
Um, that, that continued assessment is going to be based upon a lot of the data that we're gathering now to know how many short-term rentals are out there, where are they located, what do they look like, how are they being operated. Once we have a little bit more information that we think we'll be in a better position to talk about, what additional uh, program implementation steps do we need to take, if any? Uh, we're gonna look to complete the implementation of the Gullah Geechee Task Force Work Plan. That is an ongoing initiative, something that we've been actively working on over the course of the last year. And we are very hopeful that by the end of this calendar year, we will have successfully accomplished all of the objectives that are identified within that work plan. Um, we also have listed on here assisting St. James Baptist Church in their uh, relocation efforts from under the approach slope at the Hilton Head Airport. Uh, I can attest that those discussions are still very active, even though uh, we've been working on this project for a very long time. But um, we are very hopeful that if we can uh, work with the church and work with the county, we can develop a proposal uh, that will obtain FAA approval and allow them to successfully re uh, be relocated from where they're at now to a three-acre site that's identified within the Mid-Island uh, Master Park plan for the Mid-Island track. And then lastly, we're going to implement a series of beach park enhancements. We know that the beach is one of our best natural resources and was, draws a lot of people to this area and to this community. And so we have here a series of uh, steps that we're going to go through, not only in terms of operational improvements, but some regulatory discussions that we're going to be talking to ensure that anybody who's coming to the beach is having that quality beach experience that we want to provide for all of our residents and visitors. And so that highlights kind of the top 15 priorities. I can tell everybody though, there are more priorities that are still within the strategic plan. Um, some of which are new, some of which were carried over from the existing plan. But today I wanted to just highlight those top 15 uh, because those are, are the ones that we are kind of a, a putting a lot of time and effort behind, especially right now in terms of making some forward momentum. All right. Bill, be happy to take any questions that y'all may have. All right, thank you. Very detailed. We appreciate you sharing that with us, Josh. And the first question we have is coming from Peg, and Peg is asking, "How will the new traffic system that was talked about at last the last town council meeting enhance the traffic flow on Hilton Head Island, particularly the south end?" Sure. So the adaptive traffic management system that we are installing will go into all of our major intersections. Uh, hopefully both on-island and then also off-island. And the best way to think about that system is if you had a person with a, a button who could change the timing of the intersection signals to be reflective of the traffic that, that's occurring at that given time, that's essentially what that system's trying to achieve. And so it's uh, cameras that are monitoring traffic on a real-time basis and then are using computers to automatically adjust the signal timing so that they are getting the most efficiency that we can out of those intersections at any given time. So once that program's completed, we're hopeful that um, it will help with the congestion in terms of allowing for a better flow of traffic through those intersections based upon the then existing volume that the cameras are seeing. All right, Josh, next question is coming from Linda, and Linda's asking if there's any recycling initiative included in the waste management program for Hilton Head Island. So there is recycling that's currently offered on the island, and as I talked about, we want to we be able to enhance that existing program. It, it's okay for now. One of the biggest complaints that we hear about is um, the waste haulers who are collecting recyclable materials if they determine that there is contamination within that load, they are allowed by law to take that load to the landfill rather than processing them for recycling purposes. And so we want to be able to work with the county, and the county is developing a MRF, a mixed-use recycling facility, which is going to help ensure that there are no contaminated loads when it comes to recyclable materials and therefore ensure that those items that the public is wanting to recycle are going to wind up at the destination that they need to. So that is active and ongoing. And then we wanna look at ways in which we can help expand that program. Um, we're also looking at ways in which we could potentially expand composting and other recycling initiatives 
So while we don't have a great plan yet, we know that we want to support the county's efforts and the improvements that they're making. And then we also want to look at how can we take the program and make it better in general uh, for the island community. There we go, Josh. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, next question is coming from Alex, and Alex is just asking if you could talk a little bit about the construction project yesterday on 278 that uh, delayed morning traffic. Yes, sir. Um, and I can tell you as somebody who is stuck in the middle of that, I was asking a lot of questions as were about 30,000 other people who were trying to make it to work in school. So as we now understand it, um, and we had to get some information from the Department of Transportation, um, they had a contractor who was doing some resurfacing work there at the intersection of 278 and Spanish Wells Road. Uh, the purpose of that work was to widen the right-hand turn lane onto Spanish Wells um, because it had been identified as, as a safety need. The issue became that the contractor, um, the last load or two of asphalt from the plant that morning, uh, the truck driver got lost, was not sure where to go in terms of delivery of that load. And so the contract that the, the firm was operating under requires them to be done with their work and off of the site no later than 6 a.m., uh, obviously to not impact the morning commute time. And they failed to do that because they were still waiting on this uh, last load of asphalt to be delivered. And so uh, we understand from the DOT that they do have monetary damages that are built into the contract and they will be assessing the contractor for those monetary damages. Um, but we, we understand that uh, there was a breakdown in communication from the DOT to us and then from us to the public in terms of trying to get that information out yesterday as it was unfolding. Um, so uh, we do apologize for that. It's unfortunate for, for everyone. It's extremely frustrating. Um, but given that it was limited to that particular project and that project has now been successfully completed, uh, we don't believe we're going to see any repeat issues related to that, uh, that improvement. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, Robert is asking right now about uh, if there's a chance that we'll lose some of the funding because it's taking so long to plan the 278 corridor. You know, that, that's a great question. I don't know that I can give you a good answer. I think there's arguments that are made both ways. On the one hand, the State Infrastructure Bank, the SIB, which is the money that, that's providing that funding uh, for the project, they have indicated that um, they would like to see that money spent as soon as possible rather than um, be carried out further. The counter argument to that is there's a number of other projects that they've funded, particularly in the Charleston area, that have been ongoing for many, many more years than what our project has been, and they still have their state funding. So it, it's hard to say what the, what the state is ultimately gonna do with it. Um, I do know that Senator Davis has stated publicly that you know, regardless of if we have it, if we lose it, um, he is committed to ensuring that when the project is ready to go forward, it will have the resources that it needs in order to be able to do that. Josh, thank you. Thanks for your detailed uh, report this morning. We appreciate yes, you being with us and uh, uh, sounds like you all are full steam ahead. <laughs> we are certainly. <laughs> all right, Josh. Thanks again. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us today. There are lots of things in the month of March going on on Hilton Head Island and in Bluffton. And I'd encourage you to uh, go to our website, hiltonheadisland.org backslash events to see all the events in the month of March that are happening. And then also want to encourage you today to uh, uh, reserve your tickets for the Mad About Plaid Chamber Ball, April 1st at the Marriott. Uh, as tickets are going fast there, just like they are for the RBC Heritage. So jump in, get, get tickets for both before they're, before they're taken. Thanks again for joining us. Be safe, and we look forward to uh, seeing you again real soon.